we are going to continue our series called Kingdom and Paradox, where we look at the parables of Jesus, where we see that life lived with him and under his rule and his reign is radically different from the world that is outside of us. And so uh, we learn that following Jesus is about as much about unlearning things as it is learning things. So we have to learn how to live uh, in the tension of living in a, a simultaneously beautiful and a broken world. And Jesus is the key to that. Uh, and Jesus does this primarily through telling stories. And so it's been amazing just to be able to spend uh, a few weeks looking at the parables of Jesus. And this morning we're going to look at Luke 18 uh, and the parable of the persistent widow. Um, and as we do that, I, I, I want to draw your attention to a fact that maybe has escaped you, but will be obvious to you. Um, we are a society that loves courtroom drama. Am I right? Like all you have to do uh, is turn on TNT at any particular point of the day and you will see one of the many Law and Order reruns that are there. All of the different series that uh, go along with that particular show. That and the NBA playoffs. So, I mean, I could be the program director for TNT. But they're always throwing something our way by way of Law and Order. Um, our society loves courtroom drama. I mean, from John Grisham novels to, um, I mean, you can go way back uh, growing up. Matlock, Perry Mason, anybody? Yeah, I only had three channels. So <laughs> Matlock was like the worst. Um, but anyway, so I remember like trying to watch all that. But as, as a society, we love courtroom dramas and Probably the craziest genre of courtroom drama has to be like the syndicated afternoon judge show. You know what I'm talking about? So we've got Judge Judy. We've got Judge Joe Brown. We've got Divorce Court. We've got all these different uh, courtroom dramas that vie for our attention. And the one that I cut my teeth on very painfully was the original, I believe, uh, The People's Court. Anybody remember back, throw back to the 80s, right? Judge Wapner, his courtroom reporter, Doug Llewellyn, whose hair never seemed to move, you know, had it was permanently like kind of hairsprayed on there. Um, I had to, I was exposed to the people's court while spending summers with my grandparents. Uh, they also only had three channels. And so I was like waiting in the afternoon for cartoons to come on. And I would get sucked into this courtroom drama where... Uh, on the people's court, there would be this riveting drama about this landlord, and he had a washing machine that would be in the tenant's basement, and it was eating all their quarters, and they would they would break away, and the judge would retire to his chambers to make this difficult decision, and the owner of the, uh, the building ended up having to refund $325 in quarters back to all the tenants of the building. Riveting drama like that, right? But we are a group of people that love courtroom dramas. Um, and Jesus uses actually a courtroom drama in Luke chapter 18 to show us what he's like. Not in a comical way, but to show us that we can trust him when life doesn't make sense. He uses a courtroom drama to show us his character and his nature and we're going to talk about a lot about prayer this morning, and um, probably if I took a poll of everyone in this room, prayer is something that we all find difficult, right? 
It's something that probably there's not very many people in the room that would say, yeah, I feel like I'm praying enough. But this isn't really a how-to sermon on prayer. This is a, this is a, a, a text that shows us why we actually would want to pray. It reveals God's character. Um, just like the, those courtroom dramas are driven by the character of the judge, what we're going to see in this passage this morning is that God's character stands in stark opposition to a courtroom judge. And we're going to be able to see that we can trust him. But the picture that you have in mind when you think about God is, is going to drive your prayer life. If you believe that God is somehow distant from you or He is busy, I mean, you're not going to spend very much time going before Him. If you believe that He is disappointed with you, disappointed with your performance for Him, that He might be someone that's kind of like holding good things behind His back and He's trying to get you to do more, that's going to affect the way that you approach Him in prayer. If you look at God as someone who is angry and vengeful towards you because of your sin, right? I mean, like, the worst thing is to be in a situation and to think it's your fault that you're there. In the midst of all of that, God wants to give us a picture of himself that gives us real hope and tangible relief right where we are. As we look at Luke chapter 18 this morning, man, just this thought came to me this morning. This is like a, a blank check from God. All of us have something. Like if, if I gave you, this is the pressing need in my life this morning. All of us could put something on that line. Well, Luke 18 is there to show you the character behind the God that wants to meet you right at your point of need. And we're going to see that as we look at Luke 18. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. So if you are able, would you stand with me? As we look at Luke 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. You may be seated. Father, I pray that in the midst of busy times and confusing times and difficult times, that we all come with our needs before you. I pray that you would give us a picture this morning of you that would meet us right where we are. 
that would sustain us, that would encourage us, that would bring speedy relief to our pain and our suffering and to our difficulty. Father, we are confident that you want to do this because of your word, because you sent your son who was the word incarnate. And I pray that you would send the power of the Holy Spirit to illuminate all that you have for us as your people through your word. And I pray that it would make a real difference where we live. To do that, we need you to help us to pay attention. To do that, we need you to please come and to empower me to proclaim this word. Pray that you would help me to proclaim it clearly and accurately and with compassion and with empathy and with boldness. And the result would be we all trust you more as we see Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So this this parable is pretty straightforward in its meaning. Um, Let's look at verse 1. It says, He told them a parable, which is a story, to the effect that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart. So this parable that Jesus is telling is so that we don't grow discouraged when we pray. So that we don't lose heart when we are walking through situations that don't make sense, right? We are encouraged in this parable not to lose heart when our circumstances don't line up with what we know to be true about the character and the nature of God. It's, it's a parable that's meant to help us not merely to not lose heart, but to gain faith and confidence in who God is and what he has declared himself to be for his people. Because it is a real temptation in the midst of difficulty to think that God has abandoned us. Am I right? That's the reason that Jesus tells this parable. He doesn't want us to grow discouraged. He does not want us to grow weary. I mean, we are all pragmatists at heart. I mean, we want to see results, right? I mean, to, to think about living life in, in a fallen world where we have to present our needs before God, and then we don't immediately see uh, the answer that we want, or it doesn't happen in the time frame that we want, there's a real temptation in the midst of that to grow discouraged. There's a real temptation in the midst of that to grow weary. There's a real temptation in the midst of that to lose heart and to lose focus on who God has revealed himself to be. And this parable is to give us real confidence and real faith in who God is and what he is for in the midst of our lives for his people. So it focuses in on this widow. She is described and in biblical terms, this is a woman that is in a desperate situation. This is a woman who, apart from the mercy of other people, has no hope. So under the Jewish law, she had certain rights and privileges, and the way that she would be able to obtain those, she would have to go to a judge. In, in, in this culture, she would be able to go to the judge to find out that the people of God were the ones that were supposed to care for the poor. They were the ones that were supposed to care for the widows and the orphans. And this woman was not able to get those natural things that were coming to her from the society. So she had to go forth to this judge. So this is the situation. This woman is desperate. 
this woman has seemed to lost hope. And that gives us a lot of hope in the midst as we start out this parable, is that Jesus intervenes in the life of desperate people. Jesus brings hope in the midst of a life that doesn't seem where there's like really likely to be any hope and where there's not likely to be any answers. That's the context in which he wants us to learn how to pray. So there is this widow who is desperate, and then there is also this unjust judge. And you're able kind of to enter into his inner dialogue, right? He says, I I neither fear God nor respect man. So you kind of get this uh, picture from Jesus and this man's internal dialogue that he is someone who doesn't really care about people. He doesn't really care why or how things get done. I mean, our minds are supposed to be filled with like images of smoke-filled rooms, right? Corrupt politicians, people that are making backdoor deals. Like, this is the kind of judge this is. Maybe the head of FIFA. I don't know if you guys saw that this week, right? I mean, this, this, is, this is a crooked guy. So in the midst of that, this, this woman who is fighting for her life, who is at the end of her rope, right, who is making her needs known, she has to bring her request before this unjust judge. So this judge is corrupt to the core. But here's here's the twist. This is what makes Jesus a master storyteller. So this judge who is unjust, who could care less about the plight of this woman, not because he's great, but because this woman is bothering him, he actually answers her request. Right? And so the, the antithesis of this is that if an unjust judge will give mercy to a widow that he doesn't care anything about, how much more will God meet the needs of his people when they ask? Right? So God is saying in the midst of all of this, if this crooked judge can give justice to a widow, how much more will I give justice and mercy and help in my people's time of need when they ask? So that is the good news of this passage. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. Look at verses 7 and 8. It says, And will not God give justice to his elect, and that's just his people, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So God, in the midst of this, wants to give us a picture of how to live in a simultaneously beautiful and a broken world. Prayer is for people that are at the bottom right? It's not for people that are at the top. It's not for people that have it all together. So if you just see the world as primarily beautiful and things are going well for you, I mean, there's not going to be like uh, this overwhelming need for prayer. But if you find yourself in a world where it is beautiful, but it's also broken and you're exposed at your point of need, that's where prayer flows from. Prayer at its core is just opening up our mouths and saying help. So this passage is to help us 
to live in the tension of a beautiful and a broken world. And all of us have beautiful and broken aspects of our lives. All of us have beautiful and broken aspects that happen in the world. And in the midst of that, God doesn't want us to miss who he is, right? He doesn't want us to judge him by the circumstances that we're going through. He wants us to take the circumstances that we walk through each and every day and to interpret them in light of who he is. Because it's very easy living in a beautiful and a broken world to begin to judge God by what we're going through instead of allowing God to shape the things that we're going through. And God does that by giving us this picture of his mercy. Now, most of our aversions to prayer, like the reasons that we don't pray, right? The reasons that we don't pray is because oftentimes we don't think prayer works. We think that prayer in and of itself, like if you are unmasked before God, like that's what prayer really is, right? Just coming before him as you are. Like if you come before him unmasked, vulnerable and in your need and he doesn't respond to your request the way that you think he should respond to your request or if he doesn't respond in the time that you need him to like to um, respond to your request there's that tension in that moment to begin to believe lies about God this parable is given to us so that we would find hope when our circumstances don't line up with what we know to be true about God and what he's done. And I want you to to track with me. There is a real freedom in being finite, right? God is infinite, infinite in power, infinite in wisdom and love and everything else. He's infinite. We are not. There is a joy and a freedom that comes from knowing that we don't know everything, that we don't see everything, that we're not able to know the end from the beginning like God does. There's freedom in that because if we try to confuse our role with God, I mean, then we're going to try to secure freedom for ourselves and salvation for ourselves. And we're going to try to control the uncontrollable, right? And instead of finding hope and rest, right, from the only place that we're supposed to find it in and through God, our our circumstances are going to be upside down. So it's in those moments that we need to turn our eyes and our affections on who God is and what he's done. So there is a freedom to being a finite creature. We don't know everything, but the good news is that God does, that he infinitely loves us, and that he is going to work all things for our good. So, what does this passage teach us about God? What, what confidences does this give us in prayer? Because this is, this is not about a how-to sermon about prayer. This is about why we can trust God when in the midst of difficult circumstances. Look at verse 1. The first thing that we notice is that God actually invites us and wants us to bring our needs and our concerns before him. Verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart. What we can get from that is God wants us to pray. He invites us to pray. 
He is attentive to the needs and the cries of his people. God actually cares about where you are right now at this moment. He cares about the big things, these overarching decisions and course changes that happen in our lives. He cares about the small things and the details. He cares about us more than we care about ourselves. It says that he knows the number of hairs that are on our head, right? He cares about details about our life that we don't know and we don't understand. It says in the book of Psalms that he's keeping even track of the tears that we shed, like he's saving them in a bottle. That means that he cares about our sorrows. He cares about the details of our life. And all along the way, in the midst of our lives, he wants us to be able to experience more and more of him. He calls us to be able to pray. Now, God is different than me. He doesn't get tired of our prayers, right? I mean, he's different than me. Like, sometimes I I view God like I view myself. Like, vacation season is upon us, right? So, sometimes I view God as a dad driving a minivan, you know? And so, you, you know, I mean, you've all been on a vacation with kids before, maybe, or in the near future, or... You've seen maybe that on a movie somewhere. Um, but it doesn't take very long, like if you're taking a road trip with kids, for the requests to start coming in, right? The first one that you always hear, probably a, a few miles into the journey, right? That you hear most often is, are we there yet, right? And then that progresses to, like, when are we going to stop and eat? And when are we going to go to the bathroom? And I got to be honest, like as, uh, as a dad, those requests, they pile up and I need a vacation before the vacation even starts, right? There is just this, there's just this idea where I become overwhelmed with requests. The good news is God is not like that. God is infinite in his mercy and his compassion towards us. He invites us to come over and over. And that's what this passage is about. It's about persevering in prayer. It's about us being able to not grow discouraged when things don't always immediately um, display themselves as they are, so that we know who he is and what he's done. Look at verse 7. God never tires of our requests. Verse 7, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? This idea of justice. This is a synonym would be righteousness. A synonym would be God working all of these things into our lives so that his people receive the fruit of the cross so that his people would receive the the fruit of what God has done for them in and through Jesus. He's saying, is there any way that I would withhold anything that my people need, right, at their point of need? That's what he's saying in and through this passage. I will give justice to my people. God, in the midst of all of the trials and the difficulties and all of our needs, He wants us to be able to come before Him with confidence. And I believe that the real heartbeat of this passage 
is that no matter what you're facing right now, God knows. He wants to say in the midst of that, in the midst of who He is, and especially in the midst of the sending of His Son, don't give up. Don't give up in the midst of the difficulty. We have a God that knows the end from the beginning, and we also know a God that knows how He's going to work all things together for good for those that are called according to His purpose. We don't know that, but He does. God is faithful. God hears our prayers. He will answer our prayers, and He will act on behalf of His people. Right? We don't have to be shy in our approaches to God. And, and the reality is uh, God's not finished with our story. Right? We are all people in progress. Our stories are still being written. But at the end of our days, the overarching truth is going to be God is faithful. We can approach Him with confidence because there are no barriers between us and God. There's no barriers that will keep us from crying out to Him day or night. All right? We're, he's not going to not hear our prayers because of our sin. He's not going to turn a deaf ear to us because somehow we don't have it all together. We have a Savior that has taken our place on the cross so that we can draw near to God. And as we draw near to God, God will draw near to us and He will meet us at our point of need with His very presence and His very self. So God will not delay over meeting the needs of his people. He has called us to be his sons and his daughters, right? I mean, not only are we forgiven for our sins, but now we hold the status of being beloved sons and daughters of God. We have the same status as Jesus Christ, right? We are seated in heavenly places before him, so we can cry out to him with confidence. We can also have confidence that He's not going to hold anything back from us, right? In the midst of whatever you need, whatever circumstance you face this morning, He's not going to hold anything back. Now, that doesn't mean that God is some kind of magical genie in the bottle, right? This isn't about us getting our material comforts met. This is about God saying that I'm going to build my kingdom in such a way that I'm going to give you everything that you need to bear fruit for my kingdom and to see my kingdom grow and expand, right? This isn't just about our personal needs, but this is about God producing the fruit of the kingdom inside of us, right? And, and none of us know what our stories hold, and none of us would choose probably the stories that we have, but we know that God knows what is best for us, and He is going to produce in us that which we need to show the world his mercy and his grace. That's what he's in the business of doing. So he will hold nothing back. But also, I love the, the, the language of timing in this passage. He says, he will not delay, right? That means that for never for one millisecond Will God withhold anything that you need from you? He's going to meet you precisely at your point of need, precisely at the time that you need it. Now, that doesn't mean that it's on our time, but it's on His time. And that's what He wants us to get in the midst of that. That He will not delay. I mean, the essence 
of the good news for us this morning is that God is lavish, that He is generous, that He is not like Mr. Scrooge and, and Dickens' Christmas Carol. He's not holding anything back. He is eager to act on behalf of His people. He is a giver. Romans 8.32 For God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? There's a lot that can fit in the all things, right? We all have a different all things this morning. But our all things are supposed to be seen side by side with the cross where Jesus Christ entered into the suffering of humanity, where He entered into our suffering and our brokenness to bring us healing. So God wants to meet us. He will not delay. And we have to have confidence because we are these finite creatures that at any point in time, He's doing infinitely more than we can see, right? I mean, can we just say that God's plan is bigger than what we can see? right? It's bigger than what we can see in front of our face, right? It's bigger than, than what we could read in a book this week. And then if you just think about the thousands and thousands of things that he's doing simultaneously right now, think about all the situations that are going around just in this room. And God is not only upholding them all, but he is actively involved in all of them to bring us to a point where we see his mercy and his grace. He wants us to know that we can have confidence as we approach him. But this passage is about a widow, and it's supposed to teach us how to persevere. That's not something that we want to do very often, is it? Right? Waiting probably for us is the most difficult thing in the universe. We are used to information being at our fingertips, Right? We are used to being able to multitask and do like nine different things at one time. So the idea of God not doing everything on our timetable, it can mess with our heads, right? It can mess with our hearts. It can mess with our view of God. But in the midst of all of that, he wants to produce a heart in the midst of the delays that say that we trust him. That we can trust Him to work. That, that God, in the midst of all of our needs, cares about us right where we are. That's the good news of this passage. And as God works in us, He's going to begin to produce in us the fruits of His kingdom. So, the more that you spend time with someone, the more that their concerns become your concerns. So waiting for us this morning, waiting especially in prayer, it changes us, right? It's not like we're trying to, to bend God's ear towards us and towards our circumstances. But as He works in time and in our lives, it begins to align our hearts more with His cares and his concerns. So this is a this is a parable that was was told to a group of people that were going to witness the cross 
and the resurrection. And they were going to witness Jesus going back to heaven. And there's going to be this long period of time between his first coming and his second coming. And he's saying in the midst of that, there's going to be a lot of things that happen that you don't understand. There's going to be a lot of things that happen to people that you know. There's going to be a lot of things that happen in your life. And all of those things in the midst of that, I don't want you to lose sight of who I am. So as we wait, we can have confidence that he wants to answer our prayers, especially the ones in conjunction with his kingdom, right? So as we pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, we know that he's not going to delay to answer our prayers. So that as we pray for people to come to know his mercy and his grace, we know that he hears that prayer, right? As we pray for God to comfort those that mourn, we know that he's going to answer that prayer. As we pray for our city, for God to begin to tear down walls of segregation and injustice, and we pray that God would help us to begin to care for the poor, we know that he's not going to turn a deaf ear. And you know what happens? The more and more that you pray prayers like that, your heart becomes inclined to see God's kingdom come in that way. And so God wants us to pray and to keep on praying. He wants us to ask and he wants us to seek and he wants us to knock because God is eager to open up the floodgates of the heavens, right? It's not like we're trying to get him to do something that he doesn't want to do. We're trying to bring our hearts in alignment with his. Prayer changes us far more than it changes God, but God does invite us to pray. Prayer is about God bringing tangible relief right? He has specific mercy with your name on it. The only way to access that mercy is to, by faith, approach him and draw near to him, and he will not withhold any good thing from you. He wants this morning to know that that he is bringing tangible relief in the form of his son to your point of need. So what do you need this morning? What would you write that blank check for? God in the midst of your needs is saying, I want to minister to you here doesn't always mean that he's going to deliver you out of the circumstances, but it is a divine promise that he will always sustain you, that he will never leave you, that he will never forsake you, and that he will uphold you with his mighty right hand. God keeps his people. No one will snatch them out of his hand. And that is good news as we live out life in a simultaneously beautiful and a broken world. God will never let you go. He has it, right? The God that did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He gives us this invitation. I know that you're weary. I know that you're tired. I know that you don't understand, right? It's just like the the hymn, Amazing Grace, right? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come, right? There is this part of living in this world that is full of difficulties, that is full of trials and toils and snares. But at the end of the day, we're going to stand face to face with our creator, unmasked, unashamed, and he is going to heal every wound in our life. Right? 
Things that don't make sense now will make sense then as we see his redemptive love and we see how he's weaved the thread of our lives with the lives of other people and we see this beautiful tapestry of God's grace. But in the meantime, don't lose heart. Don't give up. God is for you. Despite what you see. He didn't spare his own son. Let's pray. Father, you are merciful and you are gracious and you are kind. Thank you for your desire to meet us speedily with your mercy. I pray that the rest of the service would be you acting speedily on our behalf that you would meet us at our point of need. I pray that you give us a renewed confidence in your character and your work. And that would give us perspective as we live out life in this world. I pray that you would strengthen us, you would comfort us, and that you would sustain us. In Jesus' name, amen.